So, Paul prayed for people who were doing spiritually very well. And he also, as you look at this passage, the main emphasis of Paul's prayer, in the 13 epistles of Paul, there are more than 20 recorded prayers. And when you examine those prayers, it reveals that Paul was mainly concerned about spiritually healthy people as he prayed for these people. He said, you never find it recorded that he prayed for Aunt Susie's big toe. You never find that he prayed for someone's stomach ache. You read through these epistles of Paul and the burden of his prayer was for their spiritual condition. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for people's physical needs, but that's not what Paul primarily prayed for. Look at what he prayed for. Look in verses 17 through and 18 of Ephesians chapter 1. He prayed for the Ephesians that might God might give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what that is, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who do believe. Read his prayer for the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It's the same. He prays that their love might abound in all judgment and knowledge. He prays that they might be given the ability to discern that which is excellent, that which is most important, and that they might be sincere, solid, genuine, that they might approve and be concerned about that which is excellent, and that they might be without offense until the day of Jesus Christ, that is, without sin, without declension or wandering away from Christ. He prays that they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. He wanted them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, and that they might walk worthy of the Lord, and please the Lord in every respect, and that they might be fruitful with every good work, and that they might increase in the knowledge of God, and that they might be strengthened with his mighty power unto all joyfulness, that they might be joyful people, that they might be patient people, that they might be long-suffering The main emphasis of Paul's prayers was spiritual. In praying as well as in living, Paul sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This was true when he prayed for others, and this was true when he asked others to pray for him. Where was Paul when he wrote the Ephesian epistle? 
He was languishing in a Roman prison. If you had been languishing in a Roman prison for the years that he had been there, what would you have asked the Ephesians to pray for you? Well, let's see what Paul asked them to pray about in Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. And as we look at this, I think many of us can see the shallowness of our prayer lives and of our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see that in many ways, we get our sense of values completely distorted. We don't have the values that Paul had or that God would want us to have. We spend more time praying about things that are of lesser importance than we do about things that are of major importance. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, I want you to pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I want you to watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, he throws that in as an addition, and I want you to pray that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in prison. And herein, right here, I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. He didn't say, oh, brethren, please pray for me that Caesar, who is the governor at that point, as Caesar might take a liking to me and release me from prison, now, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that, but that's not what primarily he asked him to pray about. He didn't say, oh, brethren, pray for me that um, I might get released. No, what he said was, pray that right here where I am, I still may be bold to preach the gospel. Pray that I will take every opportunity to make known the mystery of the gospel. He didn't say, pray that God will get me released from this situation. No, he said, oh, Ephesian brethren, pray for me that right here in this situation, I will be the kind of Christian, the kind of witness that I ought to be. He did the same thing when he wrote to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, he wrote, Pray also for us that we might speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds. In this emphasis on the spiritual rather than just the physical, the Apostle Paul was following the example of our Lord. When our Lord prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17, he didn't pray primarily for physical things. Everything he prayed for was spiritual. At this point, I want to put in a word of caution so that I won't be misunderstood. I'm not saying that Paul never prayed for material things. 
I'm not saying that he never asked other people to pray for him about material things. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It would seem to me that the everything would include the physical and material things. But what I am saying is that Paul was more concerned about spiritual matters than he was about physical and material matters. It showed up in the burden of his prayers for others as he prayed for them, as well as in the prayer requests that he sent to other people for himself. This demonstrated the fact that Paul was a man who sought first the kingdom of God, who wanted above all else to exalt Jesus Christ, to bring glory to God, and to help others to come into a right relationship and live in a right relationship with Christ. I say, let's examine our prayer lives. Let's examine our prayer meetings. What's the burden of our praying? Does our praying reveal that we're most concerned about people's souls and their spiritual condition or that we are most concerned about their physical condition? I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for their physical and material condition. Paul did say that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. He prayed that we should not only request for daily bread, but many other requests for spiritual needs and spiritual conditions. He certainly learned from what Jesus taught about the way that we should pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. We should pray for the spiritual condition of people because after all, a person may have a good physical condition, but his spiritual condition be in terrible shape. A person may have a good body and die and go to hell. It's his soul that is most important. Let's keep this in view as we pray for one another, as we pray for our churches, it's fine for us to pray for good physical facilities, good buildings in which to worship. We ought to be concerned about that. But we ought to be more concerned about what people do when they're in the church or when they've left the church. Let's pray that for the church when they've gone out of the meetings and for the spiritual condition of the people who make up the church. We note that when Paul prayed, he included thanksgiving. Paul tells the Ephesian Christians that they are to give thanks. Give thanks. And he said he gave thanks for them. Now as you read his epistles, you'll find him saying again and again, that he's giving thanks. In Philippians 4 and verse 6, he said that we are to 
Give thanks in everything. First Timothy 2.1, he said that we're to give thanks for all men. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, he said, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Paul practiced what he preached. He not only told others to give thanks in their prayers, he gave thanks in his prayers. Paul said, give thanks for all things. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. As I went through the prayers of the Apostle Paul, I noticed one specific thing for which Paul thanked God again and again. In almost every epistle that he wrote, he thanked God for the people of God. He thanked God for the saints. In Romans 1 and verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. The first thing that I'm thanking God for is you Christians. He did the same in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy and in Philemon in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 Thessalonians and in Philemon. Paul appreciated God's people. Paul knew that he could get along without many things, but he couldn't get along without God's people. Thus, in his prayers, he often had to say, Thank you, Lord, for Christian brethren. Paul really loved the people of God. I ask you, as I ask myself, do we love the people of God? Do we really appreciate the people of God? Let's examine our prayer life to find out. Now, there are two things that Paul often thanked God for about other Christians. One was their faith. In his epistles, he didn't thank God that they had such nice personalities or that they had multiple talents or that they had great resources and were very wealthy or that they were able to give much to the church or that they had good jobs No, he would have been thankful for that, but that wasn't primarily what he focused on. No, Paul focused on their faith. And in his epistles, he didn't thank God that they had such nice personalities. He didn't thank God because they had good jobs, although he certainly would have been glad for that. No, he said, I want to thank you, Lord, for their faith, which is spoken of throughout the whole world. He did this in 1 Thessalonians, and then again in Philemon. Paul knew where that faith had come from. You see, faith is a gift of God, and so if these people had faith, it was because God was giving it to them as they were reading his word. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing by the word of God. He knew these people were listening to the word of God and applying it to their lives. And so he thanked God for their faith because 
They were manifesting itself in so many ways. Paul said, I thank thee, Lord, that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul knew where that faith had come from. Faith is a gift of God. He said, thank God for the fact that you have faith because it's God who has given you that faith. And then Paul often thanked God for their lives and their love, which they manifested to all the saints. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. They didn't pump this love up by themselves. They got it from the Lord. Paul let them know that he was thanking God for the spiritual qualities they found in their lives. He was thanking God because he knew that it was God who would work these spiritual qualities into them. He knew that these Christians were manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And so he let them know he appreciated them. And I ask you, my friends who are listening to this podcast, do we do that? First of all, do we thank God? And then... Do we encourage one another? When some brother is growing in grace and becoming a challenge to us, we are to go to that brother and tell him, I thank God that I seek God at work in your life. The Apostle Paul didn't fail to do this. In his epistles, he frequently expressed appreciation. And then one other thing I notice about Paul's praying and we should take that as an example, is that he prayed without ceasing. Ephesians 1.16, Paul says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He urged the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 to pray without ceasing. And Paul set the example in this matter. He practiced what he preached. What did Paul mean when he said that he was praying without ceasing? Did Paul mean that he never did anything except pray? Did he mean that he never went to sleep at night and that he prayed 24 hours a day? We know that's not what he meant because he did many other things. Well, what did he mean when he said that he never ceased praying? One thing he meant was that he never gave up praying. He never abandoned praying. He never said, well, they do not need my prayers anymore. They're beyond the need of prayer. On the other hand, he never said, they're too far gone. It's no use praying for them. He never said, It's no use praying because I'm not getting through to them anyway. He never said, well, my heart is too cold, so I might as well not pray. Paul never stopped the practice of prayer. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean to pray every moment of the day any more than saying I never cease eating. means I eat 24 hours a day. It means that you never abandon the 
practice of eating, and it means that you never abandon the practice of prayer. It means that you never give up on anybody. It means that you continue to pray for them. It means that regularly you're found in the attitude and practice of prayer. Praying without ceasing means that Paul was quick to go to prayer. You grab hold of a needle on a compass and you pull the needle away with your finger from magnetic north and then you know what happens as soon as you let go of that needle? The needle goes right back to magnetic north. That's what ought to happen in our lives as Christians. Because of the pressure of responsibility, it's sometimes impossible for us to give ourselves to prayer. But as soon as we're free again, you know what should happen to us? We ought to go right back to God in prayer. The old needle of prayer ought to go right back to magnetic north. Instinctively, we ought to go to God in prayer. When we're done with work and we get a moment's respite, our first thoughts ought to be, I have to talk to my Heavenly Father. This is what it means to pray without ceasing. It means it's the instinctive reaction of our hearts to go out to God, to reach out to the Father, wherever we are, whenever we are, even when we are not pressed to do something else. Whenever we're not pressed to do something else, whenever something else does not capture our attention, we are reach out naturally to God. In the middle of the night, when we wake up, our first thoughts ought to be of God. Maybe that's why God woke me up. In the middle of the day, when we're driving down the highway and we see needs around us, things, these things ought to cause us to go immediately to God in prayer. This is part of what Paul meant when he said, pray without ceasing. In Romans chapter 12, and verse 12, Paul said, continue instant in prayer. In an instant, we should be in prayer. We don't need a, a nice, quiet room. We don't need to be in a chapel. We don't need to be in a bedroom. We can be in an automobile. We can be out on an athletic field. We can be down at the job in the office. We can be working at the factory. We can mowing the lawn. But wherever we are and whenever we are, we can be in the presence of God in prayer. This is the way it was with the Apostle Paul. He sometimes had a soldier chained to him. He sometimes couldn't get free from that soldier because he was locked to that soldier in prison. But that didn't keep him from praying. He went to prayer instinctively. We should be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, could be working on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, 
In the midst of his busyness, as you read Nehemiah's account, he would be in prayer. Again and again, throughout the book of Nehemiah, there are what we call ejaculatory prayers. Very quickly, in the midst of his activities, he turns in prayer to God. The identical thing was true of the Apostle Paul. You find that in his epistles. He'd be writing about one thing, and suddenly, without warning, he would shift gears and go to prayer. He did that in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9 through 11, he talked about election and the sovereignty of God. And then, as he came to the end of this theme, suddenly, Paul stepped into prayer and began to worship God. In Romans chapter 15, he exhorted the brethren, but intermixed with his exhortations, some brief prayers. Paul was quick to go to prayer. He prayed without ceasing. The question is, is that true of us? Do our hearts instinctively run out to God. We ought to be coming to God throughout the day saying, Lord, help me to glorify you. Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Lord, open doors of opportunity. Lord, deliver me from evil. Lord, watch over my eyes. Lord, take care of these ears. Lord, you know that person out there is trying to get me upset. So please help me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, I'm thinking of such and such a person right now. He just came to my mind. Holy Father, he has some needs. Please help him. Oh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, thank you for protecting me, preserving me. When someone or something comes into our minds, we ought to go to God in prayer. This is what Paul did. And we ought to follow his example. Here then are some of the general characteristics of Paul's praying. And I believe that the need of our time is not simply for greater theologians or greater preachers or even greater counselors or people with greater talents or greater abilities or greater resources. But what we need is men who are great in prayer. Because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. James 5 and verse 16. We may not have great ability to preach. We may not have great resources. But Satan trembles when the weakest saint gets on his knees before God. The battles, my friend, are not won when the pastor comes into the pulpit if they're not won before he comes into the pulpit. If they're not won then, they probably won't be won when he's in the pulpit. The battles for the souls of our children or men or women are won before the preacher ever steps into the pulpit. They're won by folks 
who had been on their knees before God in prayer. The ministry of the pastor from the pulpit will to a large extent be only as effective and as authoritative as the prayer lives of his congregation. Charles Spurgeon believed that the reason he had such a powerful ministry was because he had a praying church. And so he said that praying people are blessed with powerful preaching. If we want powerful preaching, Charles Spurgeon said, we need praying people because it's not talents or abilities alone that win or strengthen anyone. It is God who regenerates. It is God who convicts, who converts, who sanctifies, who empowers. And it is holy God to powerfully move. And he does that when his people pray. My dear friends, listening to this podcast, I exhort you in closing, let us therefore learn from Paul's example how to pray effectively and seek to go and do likewise. May God help us be people who follow the example and the teaching of Jesus in prayer and the example of George Mueller and the example of the Apostle Paul. God, I pray that you would make that a reality in each of our lives. You must do it, Lord. We can't do it, but you must do it. So come, Lord, and give us faith. Give us love. Give us the fruit of the Spirit. Give us a passion and a zeal to honor you and glorify you and also to witness to others so that they might come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you to do this for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.